Let's pray. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. And the whole earth is filled with your glory. Lord, you are faithful. You pardon our sin, not because of anything that we do, but because you are faithful and you're loving and you're kind and you're merciful. Father, we pray now that you will do a work in us, that we will hear the preaching of your word, that we will hear your words, that you will move in us and among us, Lord God, that we will be transformed into more like your son. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen our church this morning. We pray that you'll remove any distractions, that you will remove anything else that we came here this morning thinking about. Father, clear that for us and help us to now focus on your word and nourish us. Lord, we pray that you will not only do it for us, but you'll do it for the other bodies of Christ here in King George County. Lord, we pray for Hanover Baptist Church this morning that you'll preach through Pastor Rick. We pray that the members of Hanover will be strengthened through the faithful preaching of that dear brother. Pray that the gospel will be clearly presented and clearly heard and that you will save the lost in that congregation. Father, we pray for Oakland Baptist Church. Lord, we pray for Pastor Cliff this morning that you will preach through him and your words through him as your instrument will not fall on deaf ears, but your body will be strengthened and they will go out and minister here in our county. Lord, I pray for all of your churches, the ones who are faithful to your word. Father, do our work in all of us this morning, I pray. Lord, we pray for the Zhuang people in China, over a million in that people group who have not heard the gospel for whatever reason. Lord, they have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They are condemned as they stand today in their sin. They are lost in darkness. Father, we pray for a missionary to come and tell them that the light has come. That the light has come and He is the way, the truth, and the life. Only those who confess their sin and believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will be saved. Father, I pray that You will do a mighty work among the Zhuang people. We pray for a Bible to be translated into their own language where they can read your word for themselves and not just hear it. That they will read it and they will love it and they will obey it, Father. We pray for faithful brothers among the Zhuang people to rise up and to plant churches and to strengthen the people who you call. Lord, I pray for Pastor Kogo as he does a mighty work for your name in Nakuru, Kenya. Lord, we thank you for the ministry 
that you have given him and those around him, the group that you have formed. Father, I pray that they will be, they will be planted strong with deep roots in the gospel there in Nakuru. That they will have a boldness to preach the gospel, to share it, Father, and that you will save many through that new church. Father, we pray for the Bible studies that are going on. May your people be strengthened by it, Father, and may more hear the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Kogo and his family, that you will renew them, that you will give them renewed energy, peace, and strength. Father, it can be weary day in and day out, and they will fall unless you empower them and strengthen them. So Father, we pray that you'll do that. Lord, we pray for the North American Mission Board as they seek to plant more churches here in North America. We pray that you will raise up more brothers who will be church planters, who will plant solid, gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting churches. Father, we pray that your gospel will go forth, that you will raise up more brothers through the North American Mission Board. Churches will be planted all throughout Canada, all throughout Mexico, and here in the United States. Father, may there, may there not be one place where your gospel is not heard, and may you bring more people into the kingdom. Lord, we pray now all these things in your Son's most precious name. Amen. Please open your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That is the chapter we have come to in our series in 1 Corinthians. If you are using a church Bible, it's on page 959. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand and we will get one to you. If you do not own a Bible, please keep it as a gift. It is the most precious gift that we could give you. Page 959. In the church Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And if you will please stand with me as I read our text this morning. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. 
Amen. Please be seated. Lord, reveal to us the majesty of your great name and our desperate need for the working of your grace in our lives. Amen. When I was in Central Asia a couple years ago to help train pastors and to teach them how to preach God's word as it's intended, we had a closing ceremony at the end of the training where some of the brothers came forward and gave their testimony. It was a special time with everyone gathered in the room. Imagine four Westerners up front with a room full of brothers. We didn't speak the same language. We didn't look the same, but we all had the same joy and actually relief that we had come to this point in the training. We had just gone through long, intense teaching. We had hard concepts to learn, working for days from sunrise to sunset, Everyone was exhausted, but we all were excited that we had come to this point of completing the course. The brothers were elated that they were getting training like this. They had never received training like this before, and it was their first time being taught in the Scriptures how to preach it to God's people. And they were hungry for it, and you could really tell on their faces and in their expression that they were really thankful for the training. During the ceremony, one brother came forward and began describing his life before Christ. He was from a small mountainous village, and at one time he was a medicine man, offering animal sacrifices to, in the village to appease the gods. Before surrendering to Christ, villagers would come to him for healing and for blessing. They thought he had some kind of super special gift for healing. He would make medicines by grinding herbs together, create concoctions and potions from all kinds of ailments. He had rituals and nuances he would go through to bring about the healing. And as he was given his testimony, he talked about how powerful this made him feel and the pride that he had at being this important man in his village. It gave him an arrogance that set him above everybody else in the village. Well, this medicine man at one time, he got sick, and he needed a miracle to live. He tried his own concoctions, he tried his own rituals, and nothing helped. He kept getting sicker and sicker. Nothing worked. Then he was miraculously healed. And at first he didn't know why. And then he heard the gospel of Christ. And God opened his eyes to the truth that it was God who healed him. He repented of his sin and now humbly trusts in Jesus. As he was standing up here, standing up there describing his life before, it was hard to imagine that this was the same man, this pastor, who described himself because now he was so soft-spoken and reluctant to put any focus or any light on himself. He was there getting the training to go back to the village, to the same area, to tell the same people about God's grace through faith in Jesus. 
He's now going back to the same people, to the very people who came to him for healing. And he's now telling them of a greater healing for their soul given by God. Another brother came forward and he talked about being miraculously saved from a fire when he was a very small child. When he stood up there, you could tell that in his deformity that there was burns all over his body. He should have died in that fire when he was a child, but God saved him. And he's now telling others about this gracious God who saves repentant sinners. Now, probably, for most of us, there's a disconnect between stories like that and others that may, maybe you've heard from other missionaries around the world and what we are used to here in America. In our modern day, when it comes to miracles and spiritual gifts, what we see here in the States doesn't look like what we read in the Scriptures It looks more like a circus that goes on, unfortunately. There's widespread abuse and a strangeness to it all. And maybe out of caution or maybe fear, we avoid discussing or listening to teachings on miracles and spiritual gifts. We rightly don't want to get caught up in false teachings and deceptive practices, so we avoid it. But I think if we avoid it, it will be to our detriment. I believe all of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness. For the next three chapters, from chapters 12 through 14, we're going to be looking at the spiritual gifts. This is teaching from God's Word. So it's clear that we have to get into this teaching. We need to seek to understand what God is saying and obey it. Just because it's abused by some or it's misunderstood doesn't mean that we should skip it. We have to go through this if we are going to be obedient. Because of the abuse and the misunderstanding, maybe we need to spend even more time Here in this text, gleaning what we can and striving to live out what God says. So the real truth of this text will be evident for all to see. Now, when it comes to the spiritual gifts, I describe myself as a cautionary continuationist. Meaning that nowhere in the scriptures do I see a definitive text that says the spiritual gifts... Have ceased. There's no statement anywhere in the Bible that says the spiritual gifts were temporary. Now, there may be God fearing brothers who disagree with me, and as long as we agree on the essentials of the gospel, meaning who Jesus is, what he's done, why we need him, then this topic of spiritual gifts is a secondary issue. We can talk through it as brothers and still be united even if we come down into different camps. These other brothers are called cessationists. They believe that some of the gifts like tongues and prophecy ceased after the apostolic age and the canonizing of Scripture, the closing of Scripture. They say the spiritual gifts are not necessary anymore. And honestly, I don't see that 
in Scripture. Now, regardless of what camp you may fall into, any position we have as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to weigh it. We have to weigh what we understand and be prepared to change it if it does not align with Scripture. And so as we go through these next three chapters, I'm praying that God will show me more in this text. And if I need to change, I will. And that's my prayer for you as well. Since Scripture is God's Word, it's His gift to us, telling us about Himself. It means it's authoritative to me and to every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Then whatever the Scriptures say, it has the final say. Even if I don't understand it, even if I'm confused by it, it has the final say. We need to be open to learning and growing in our understanding so we can live it out in honor to God. Now, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention has a good caution for missionaries about the spiritual gifts. They state that the IMB may end employment for any missionary who places persistent emphasis on any specific gift of the Spirit as normative for all or to the extent that such emphasis becomes disruptive to their mission's work. That's a good restraint to have. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about all Christians having the same spiritual gift or required to experience any extra special anointing of the Spirit in order to be saved. Anyone who claims that believers have to have a particular spiritual gift is making claims that's outside of Scripture. And we don't want to go there. Being cautionary seems to fit 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, which says to test everything. We are to test everything. Everything about the Christian life is tested against Scripture. Every belief, every decision, every thought and deed are all to be tested against Scripture to ensure God's people are in line with His Word. And this is what honors Him. Our lives are His, so we submit to His Word in everything. The whole topic of spiritual gifts has to be brought in line under the authority of Scripture. Now, when I talk about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to have the mental picture of a God who's way up there giving gifts to people who are way down here. Like the gifts are something that He drops inside of a person or something that He gives away. Since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of every believer. God now lives in His people. The act of salvation is itself a spiritual gift where God supernaturally gives new spiritual life and causes them to see their wickedness and need for His grace. As we walk through these next three chapters, we'll see that the spiritual gifts are God Himself working and moving in and among His people. In our passage, Paul talks about the manifestation of the Spirit. It's God working and moving dramatically at times, helping His people to do the good works 
of ministry. I have been helped in this area by a pastor named Sam Storms, who's a pastor in Oklahoma. He speaks at that pastor conference that I go to every year. This past conference was on gospel power, the Christ-exalting work of the Holy Spirit. Sam Storms spoke there this year. His message, along with others, are online for if you want to watch them. He's also written a book entitled The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. You can get a copy or get it digitally very easily. And if you want to study this further, I commend this book. It's very helpful. Our text this morning introduces spiritual gifts to the church. Really, in verse 1, it says spiritual things, spiritual people. And then later on, he speaks about spiritual gifts. Paul brings this up in his letter because at Corinth, there was a problem with the members of the Corinthian church in exercising their spiritual gifts, and they wrote to him about it. The, The people in Corinth considered themselves more spiritually elite than others in the church. They thought that they were more spiritual than others, and this was divisive and splitting the church. Now remember that chapter 12 is part of a larger section about worship. In chapter 11, he addressed head coverings in the Lord's Supper. Here in chapter 12, he speaks to spiritual gifts. In chapter 13, he'll say that spiritual gifts have the goal of love. The most famous chapter in the Bible, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the love chapter in context is about applying spiritual gifts in love. And if the church is not using their gifts in love, then frankly it's a waste of time. Then in chapter 14, he'll return to spiritual gifts, specifically tongues and prophecy. So chapter 12, in the context of the church being together in worship, Paul speaks to spirituality and the function of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Verses 1 through 11 this morning are about the marks of true spirituality and the ministry of the spiritual person. True spirituality and ministry can only happen in the Christian community. Everything else outside of the Christian community is counterfeit. Now, our passage can be split into two sections. Verses 1 through 3 are about the marks of true spirituality. And then verses 4 through 11 describe the ministry of the spiritual person. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 and see the marks of true spirituality. There are four of them. But before we get into them, let me point out in verse 2 what Paul says. Please look with, please look with me. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Paul is contrasting here in the first three verses, true spirituality with idol worship, counterfeit religion, fake spirituality. There's one true faith, only one spirituality, and that's in Christ. Everything else is a fraud. Being led astray, however you're led astray, versus knowing what is truly spiritual. There are pagans today who do not follow Christ, who call themselves spiritual. 
But the Bible says anyone who does not follow Christ is not spiritual. It says without God's grace in Christ, you are actually spiritually dead. There are people who call themselves spiritual. They may look to the stars and involved in astrology. They may be a medicine man in a small mountainous village. They may have deep thoughts about life, but God makes it crystal clear that without His grace that awakens the soul, you're dead. That it's God's grace that brings people to spiritual life. God describes for us here, through Paul in 1 Corinthians, what true spirituality is. The first mark of true spirituality is knowing True spirituality. Now that's not a a play on words. It's the first identifying mark of true spirituality. It's knowing what it is. In verse 1, Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed. In verse 2, you know. In verse 3, I want you to understand. To be truly spiritual, you must know what true spirituality is is. Your mind must be filled with truth. And the Bible makes it clear that true spirituality is knowing Christ. It's not knowing about Him. It's not able to recite facts about who He is. It's not going to Sunday school and learning Bible studies. It's knowing Jesus Christ personally. Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that life is eternal life. It's spiritual life. And there's no other way. This is what Paul has said all through 1 Corinthians. Knowing Jesus personally is having fellowship with Him. It's having communion with Him. It's relationship with Him. Now if you're tired of hearing that the Christian life is all about relationship with Jesus, then that reveals there's a problem in your heart, because having relationship with Jesus is having love for Jesus. He's a person. He's not a belief. He's not a set of rules. He's a person. And it's all about a relationship with the person, Jesus Christ, who is the personal embodiment of God. He is the perfect God man. That's why when we open the Bible, We don't just read it to know the story. We look for Jesus. We are looking to build this relationship to get more closer to God and to increase our knowledge. And God pours into us and our hearts are filled with more love for Him. We don't want to open the Bible and study it and know this doctrine and moral values and not grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a waste of time to open our Bibles and not find Jesus in it. The whole Bible is about Him. So the first mark of true spirituality is knowing what spirituality is. And that's knowing Christ personally. It's having a relationship with Him. It's not a one-time decision that you make sometime in your life and there's nothing else from it. It's a daily encounter with the Son of God. A relationship with Him. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Him, the Bible makes it clear that you are unspiritual. You are dead in your sin. And this is a horrible place 
to be because God will judge you in your sin. But in Jesus, connected with Jesus, relationally with Jesus, he gives you true spirituality and thus eternal life. In Jesus, your sin is dealt with on the cross. And to be in Jesus, you repent of your sin and you trust in him and he covers you and he protects you and he makes you new. This is true spirituality. The first mark is knowing true spirituality. The second is being Christ-centered. You may be asking, isn't that the same as the first mark? Well, kind of, but no. They're related. Knowing true spirituality is knowing Jesus personally. The second mark is having the right view of Jesus. Being truly spiritual is being centered on Christ, not yourself. It's not focused on your feelings or your experiences. Paul says in verse 3, No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. There are people who say they know Jesus personally, but the Jesus they know is not the Jesus of the Bible. Mormons, for instance, say they believe in Jesus, but they're deceived. They reject the real Jesus. Jehovah's Witness rejects the real Jesus. And there are people in the church who say that they believe in Jesus, but it's a Jesus of their own making. They aren't centered on Christ. Their Jesus excuses their sin. He's there to help them to achieve what they want in life. And really, he's only a ticket to get to this heavenly bliss or for life improvement in this life. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. There are people today who say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. But Jesus will say one day, away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. The mark of true spirituality is having a relationship with Jesus as he's described in the Bible. And since the whole Bible centers on Jesus, a truly spiritual person will be centered on him. Their whole life will be shaped by Jesus. Their hopes, their dreams, their security, their comfort, their joy will all reside in Jesus. Everything about them will have Jesus as their focus. The third mark of true spirituality is also seen in verse 3. It's saying Jesus is Lord. It's having a personal allegiance to Christ. Where the Lordship of Christ is your central confession in this life. It's having a heart that wants to say Jesus is Lord and living it out. True spirituality is knowing Jesus centering your life on Jesus, and submitting to Jesus. There are those who center their life on Jesus as long as their lives are comfortable and easy. But true spirituality is saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. Saying that Jesus is Lord means you submit to who Jesus says he is. You align your life to the ways of his teaching. You depend on him to direct you and to lead you. And you follow him in obedience no matter where he takes you. 
It may mean being willing to separate from your family. As much as you love them, you love Jesus more. It may mean leaving what's comfortable to share Jesus with those who need to hear it. It may mean standing for Him when no one else will so that His name is honored. It means owning up to your sin and loving others. It means He is your master. So you will listen and you will follow no matter what. And all of this stems from a heart that is so affected by God's love that you now live in allegiance to Him. It's not just words. It's not something you pretend on Sundays. It's a confession from a heart that's truly dependent on God's grace. And you see Jesus as your best and only hope. Wherever He leads, you follow. Whatever He says, you do. And you worship Him and nothing else. The fourth mark of true spirituality is being spirit-led towards Christ's exaltation. Being spirit-led toward Christ's exaltation. Not just being spirit-led. It's being led by the Spirit for the glory of Christ. He's the goal. There are those who say they are led by the Spirit and they do things that exalt themselves. The Spirit's leading will never, ever, ever turn a person inward. The Spirit's leading always leads a believer to Christ. A Spirit's leading always has Christ's exaltation in mind. In the church, you've probably heard the phrase, the Spirit is leading me, or God has told me. This should never override what God has already said about Christ in the Bible. It should never take a person in a direction that is counter to who Christ is. We are to test these leadings with Scripture to make sure they are in line with it and that Christ is exalted. The truly spiritual person is led by the Holy Spirit to elevate Christ in their life, to exalt Christ in their life. And this can only happen by the Holy Spirit. The other marks of true spirituality all rest on this one. You cannot do any of these. Any of these marks all rest on the Holy Spirit. You cannot do these on your own. You cannot live a life that exalts Christ by simply being a moral person. Being moral is not the same as being spiritual. There are more people in this world who do not exalt Christ. They are not believers and they're still under judgment. They may make good moral decisions. They may be nice people, but they are not saved. They are not spiritual. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and He enters the human heart and makes us creatures who are new who see Jesus and who love Jesus, who want to be with Jesus and exalt Jesus. The Christian faith happens by God revealing Himself to a person. He speaks truth and declares that Jesus is Lord. The Spirit is not some force that moves over you or into you. He's a person of the Holy Trinity that speaks to the truth of Jesus. 
What was once a rejection of Jesus becomes adoration, praise for him. He is now worshipped with great joy and the Holy Spirit directs our attention to Jesus. He enables the believer to say, Jesus is Lord. If you have family members, what this means is that if you have family members and neighbors, friends who do not adore Christ, don't argue with them. Don't try to force them to see what you have seen. You witness, you share Christ, and you pray for the Holy Spirit to convert them. You will never convince them. You will never persuade them. Only by the Holy Spirit will they come to see who Jesus is. Only the Spirit will awaken their soul to Christ. Pray for them. Share the truth of God's grace and depend on the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. These four marks are the identifying characteristics of a truly spiritual person. And they all point to Christ. And they're all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Next, in verses 4 through 11, Paul describes the ministry of the truly spiritual person. Verses 4 through 6 say that all the spiritual gifts, every service in the church, all activities in a church, all come from God. Our Trinitarian God. Notice in those verses, Paul points to the Spirit, to the Lord, and to God. All references to the three persons in the Holy Trinity. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. All the gifts and ministries in the church among the body of Christ reflect God in different ways, much like the Holy Trinity. Now look at verse 7 with me. This is where Paul tells us the purpose of these different spiritual gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The church at Corinth got this all wrong. They were seeking spiritual gifts for self-exaltation. And Paul is saying, no, this is wrong. The working of God in the life of a believer is not for your benefit alone. God never works in a singular action towards one person. He's working for the benefit of the believer and then every person who's around the believer. The believer's benefited and then the rest of the church is benefited as well. Now, Paul is not the only one who writes this. Peter has also written this. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It's page 1016 in the church Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to what God says through Peter about the spiritual gifts. He makes this crystal clear. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There is no room for pride, or selfishness 
in service to God. His gifts are to be used for the good of others, and He gets the glory for that. The spiritual gifts are not given just to you, for you. They are given for you to benefit the community of Christ. That is how we live as Christians. We never focus on ourselves. Everything is about Christ and His glory, and it's shown by how we never focus on ourselves. We look for the good to build up others, the good for others. Everything is about Christ and His glory, and it's shown by serving others, loving them, helping them, using our gifts to build them up in Christ. Paul has been saying this to the Corinthians again and again in his letter. The Christian life is about loving God and helping others. And isn't that the two greatest commandments that were given? The focus is not what you get out of it. It's God being glorified and others being edified. That they are built up in the faith and are growing in their love for Jesus. What then you get out of that then? What do you get out of it? You're a part of that. The manifestation of the Spirit is in you and you're a part of this lifting up that goes on in the church. That's what we get out of it. This is what every Christian is gifted for. The glory of God in the common good. Every Christian is gifted for ministry of the gospel. So Christ is loved and the body of believers is strengthened. Every Christian. So that means calling me a full-time minister or saying that I'm in full-time ministry, that can be confusing. Because it conveys the idea that Christians who don't preach on Sunday mornings are not in full-time ministry. But you are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in full-time ministry using the spiritual gift that you've been given to honor God and to lift others up. You may not preach the gospel, but God has saved you and He has gifted you by the Spirit to work in the ministry. A better description for what Anton and I do is equipping. We are equippers. We equip you, the body of Christ, for ministry. We teach, we encourage, we correct, we lead, and we serve you to help you minister to the body of Christ and to share the gospel with those around you. That's what Ephesians 4.12 says to elders. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Anton and I are not the only ministers of Redeemer Church. The ministry of Redeemer Church is the ministry of the members of the church. It's the body of believers serving each other in love, in God's love, and sharing the gospel so that they too will be and experience God's love. If you're a member of this body, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a minister of the gospel. The entire body of Christ is part of the priesthood of believers. It doesn't matter who you are. 
It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing, what day of the week. If you have repented of your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. Every single believer has been given a spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ, to serve and to love. So then what's ministry? Ministry is simply sharing the love of Jesus, sharing Jesus with others, with the gifts that you've been given by the Holy Spirit. Ministry is simply sharing Jesus with others, with the gifts that you've been given. Your decisions in life ought to reflect this. Your daily routine should have an outward look. Don't make decisions that only benefit you. That doesn't align with this teaching in 1 Corinthians. What we do is for the common good. The spiritual gifts are given to bless and to love and to build up the body of Christ. The the gifts are about others. They're not even about us. If you're not serving that way, if your activities do not reflect this, then as a follower of Jesus Christ, I urge you, And I plead with you, repent of this sin and use the gifts that God has given you to build up the body of Christ. That's how God's gifts are to be used. That's why he gives them to us. So that he is glorified and the body is strengthened. It's for the common good. Also notice at the beginning of verse 7 what Paul says. He says, every Christian has at least one gift. If you have repented of your sin and you trust in Jesus, you are a follower of Christ. You've been given at least one gift. And honestly, I've never seen a Christian that only has one spiritual gift. But every Christian has at least one gift. He says there at the beginning of verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. He'll say this again in verse 11. The Spirit apportions or gives to each one individually as He wills. Every Christian is gifted in some way. If you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have a gift to contribute to the body of Christ. No one who's a follower of Christ has been left out. No believer has been skipped over. Every follower of Jesus Christ has a gift to contribute. And because they're different gifts, we can minister to one another in different ways. And that's how the body is strengthened. And seeing this builds unity in the body of Christ, in the common good. And it exalts Christ in our lives and in our church. In verses 8 through 11, Paul lifts nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, these aren't all the gifts that's listed in Scripture. We'll get into some others later in chapter 12. Romans 12 also lists some. These nine are given to prove Paul's point in this passage, that the gifts are given, they're different gifts given for the common good of the body. The gifts are all given by God, the same body, the same God, All the gifts are given by God, the same God, to the body to build up the body. Please do not, um, Paul does not explain any of these nine gifts in the passage. 
he lists them to show a variety of gifts in the body. He says, to one is given this gift, to another this gift, to another this gift, or that gift, and so on. He's proving his point that he made in verses 4 through 6, that there are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities, but the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God who empowers. Paul says there are a variety of gifts that are reflections of God's grace. He then gives examples of what he means, and they're not in any specific order. He just listed them to make his point. Let's briefly look at his examples. Now keep in mind, we will get more into the spiritual gifts the further we get in this section through chapter 14. The point here is to describe them for you and point out that it's God who provides them. In verse 8, Paul mentions two, the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. Some translations say the message of wisdom and the message of knowledge. Now, it's not easy to differentiate between these two. Paul does not describe them for us. In chapter 2, Paul talked about imparted wisdom that is a secret hidden wisdom of God that the world doesn't know about, they don't understand, and it's revealed by the Spirit. It could be someone who's wise enough to settle disputes among believers, like in chapter 6, verse 5. The utterance of wisdom could be the ability, to, the ability to speak into a situation and help sort things out to ensure that God is glorified and the body of believers, the, be, the believers stay unified. The utterance of knowledge is also hard to define here. In context, in 1 Corinthians, it could mean the message that has a theological understanding or in-depth knowledge of Christ that's been hard to determine. We know that it's a God-given knowledge, that it's spirit-guided, and it's in line with the teachings of Scripture. Verse 9 has two more gifts, the gift of faith and the gifts of healing. The gift of faith is not the ability to believe in Jesus Christ, that He's the Savior. Why? Because not all Christians have the gift of faith, but yet every Christian has been given faith to believe, to trust, to depend on Jesus. So the gift of faith has to be some kind of special confidence given by the Holy Spirit to accomplish a special task that God gives. The gifts of healing is the ability to heal the sick and those with disease. Like in Acts 4 verse 30. And it's done as God determines. It's not a permanent gift. In the Greek, the literal wording is gifts of healings. Both words are plural. So God gives to one gifts of healings by His Spirit at different times to heal someone. And like the rest of Scripture, when he does that, it's so that his glory will be seen. There's nothing special in that person. This is God's doing to point people to his amazing power. Verse 10 lists the other five gifts in the passage. The working of miracles must be more than and something other than the gifts of healing because Paul's, um, he lists it separately. The literal translation of miracles, uh, working of miracles is workings of power, God's power. 
This is God working in an unusual way that results in a wonder and an awe of Him. Paul doesn't give any examples of these gifts in our text, but there are examples of this in the New Testament, like Peter raising Tabitha from the dead in Acts 9 verse 40. Paul goes on into more detail about prophecy and tongues in chapter 14. So what I'll say here is that a simple meaning of the word prophecy is revelation from God given to people. It's speaking the truth from God. And while God doesn't make mistakes, His people do. So any supposed prophecy must be weighed with Scripture and ultimately put the focus on Christ. Tongues and interpretation of tongues are languages that are not common in the vicinity where they're spoken, and then their explanation of them. Now much of the interest today in the speaking of tongues is the widespread abuse of it. For certainty, I can tell you what tongues and the interpretation of tongues is not. The speaking of tongues is not some groanings or heavy breathing or mindless mantras that, that people do. Now when we get to chapter 14, I hope it will be clearer what Paul is saying, what he's talking about here. But for now, just know that this gift, the speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues, come from God that honor Him and they build up the church. The ability to distinguish between spirits is having the discernment in spiritual matters. Paul says in Ephesians, our battle is not against the flesh and blood, it's against the rulers, the principalities, the cosmic powers of this world. Demonic forces are real and deceitful. And God gives the ability to recognize and to determine what is of Him and what is not. Paul then ends in verse 11 saying that all the gifts are given by God to empower believers to do what He wills them to do. None of these gifts are given to elevate the person. They are given so that God will be worshipped and adored and obeyed. And His church will be strengthened. The same Spirit gives gifts to all of God's people so that they will minister to one another and build up the body of Christ. This helps us and it testifies to the world that our belief is real. It's a real spiritual reality that changes selfish sinners into those who are focused no longer on self, We are now self-sacrificing servants who now live for Christ and we minister for the good of others. And the message of the cross is then shared and it continues to spread as God's people live out these gifts that they've been given. This is how the body of Christ is identified. The The true spiritual person has Christ as the focus and their goal And the goal of his gospel advancing upwards in the body of believers and outwards to the lost. They are seeking to use their gifts to build up others. What a call to our church, isn't it? What a call to you as a follower of Christ. What an encouragement that is that you have been given a gift, every one 
who has repented of their sin, who no longer stand condemned, you have been free not to just stand there, but to be used by this God in a mighty way that brings Him glory and it strengthens His church. What a blessing and a gift God gives to His people. You as a follower of Christ have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to empower and to build up His church to minister among God's people so that God will be magnified and people are strengthened in Christ. So how are you using your gift? Do you know what your gift is? Are you using your gift or gifts to help brothers and sisters in the church to come to a closer understanding of Christ? Are you using your gift to build up the body and for us to live it out together in unity? This is what the text says. Your gift is not just for you. It's for the common good. This is why God gives us spiritual gifts. Let's use our gifts to glorify Christ and help others to know Him and to love Him and to serve Him. Let's pray.